Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Damascus Road Church. And we'll get started here. We're going to tackle a, a little bit of New Year's stuff and some resolution things this morning. And uh, I want to pray before we get started and, uh, and just uh, ask God to, to bless our time together here. Father God, you are good, you are faithful, and even when we look at temperatures and forecasts and there is fear in our hearts, you are a sovereign, good God. Lord, um, just as we look at a new year, um, we're five days into 2014, as we think about the last year or the last few years, and as we look forward to a new year and the changes that have already come or will come soon, God, may your faithfulness, may your goodness hover over all of it. May we be confident and set in who you are. May we know that you are a good God who is at work, who is doing good work, and who ha- will one day bring us home. And Lord, may that, may that understanding and that truth just shape everything of who we are and what we do this year. May we be people who live for you, who love you, who love others because you have loved us and who live our lives for your glory and our joy. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I usually ask this every year. Um, I ask how many people make resolutions, and there's like one guy who raises his hand. Most of you are old enough now that you're a little bit jaded and sick of resolutions. You realize that they don't work. And if you made a resolution five days ago, there's a very good chance that you already broke it, right? Um, I was reading one guy's blog, and he was saying that there should be a two-week um, kind of uh, grace period at the beginning of year, at the year for, for New Year's resolutions. Because, you know, if you start the year and you make that resolution, I'm going to eat better, lose weight, start working out, and then you still have all that turkey and Christmas food in your fridge, and it's January 1st, and you're like, I'm going to eat better and healthier and salads for lunch, and there's the mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes and gravy and all that stuff in the fridge. There should be a two-week thing. So you guys are in that grace period for res- rev- resolutions right now, okay? Uh, there is grace right now, and for most of you, though, you, you think about it, and there's a time, it's just a, it's a time of year where you think about the past year, you look forward to the new year, and you kind of do a little bit of contemplation. Is my life where I want it to be? And probably all of you, if not most of you at least, will probably say, eh, there's some areas that I need to improve. And some of you will re- re- revolt against the idea of re- resolutions, and you'll just kind of, well, here's a couple general change directions. Some of you will make those resolutions. Some of you have already broken them. Some of you will break them today. Um, others of you, you, you just gave up. You're a little jaded and cynical about the idea of resolutions. I, I want to just kind of tackle this idea, and as a church, call us toward a few areas. But I don't want to just do it in a, let's do this. Because if I just said five things that we're going to do or accomplish in 2014, I think that sets us up in a a couple different... Here's the difference. There's a difference between just looking at behavior and saying, I need to change this, my weight, my television consumption, whatever it might be, and saying, I'm going to do this more or I'm going to do this less. Usually, when we just look at behavior and say, I need to change these behavior areas in my life, we're motivated by the wrong reasons. We're motivated either by guilt and shame, and so we say, well, man, I'm overweight, I'm, I can't move like I used to move, so I need to get to the gym and all this kind of stuff. And so we kind of th- we, we're motivated by guilt and shame, or we're motivated by pride. I can accomplish this. I can do this. And all that's just really messed up. 
Right? There's a difference then between resolving to do something that's motivated by guilt, shame, or pride, or resolving to do something that's motivated by grace. And as a church, what I want to kind of see us do this year, and what we're going to kind of constantly come back to and remind you in a lot of different ways, is how do we respond to a God who is active? A God who has done great things, who is doing great things, and who will continue to do great things. Because for us, as we think about our life together as a community, and as we think about our life under God's rule, and as we think about our life in the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came, died, rose again, and is coming again, when we think about life with God, it's a response. It's not just us activating things. It's not just us doing things to either earn God's grace or to to do anything for him exclusively. It's because God has acted and because God is acting and because God will continue to act, we respond. And so every once in a while, I like to make up new words and combine new words, the beginning of one word and the end of another word, and it frustrates my wife. And so I thought maybe instead of resolutions, we'll call these response-solutions. How's that sound, huh? Because I think this is better than resolutions. Because resolutions essentially just sticks you out on an island. And maybe you do the, like, the, the Christianese thing. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, right? How many of you have made that resolution or that goal at one point in the past? All right? Now, if I, I won't do this to you, but many of you have failed that one, right? Some of you succeeded, and you, so you're proud, and you kind of like lift yourself up a little bit. But many of you have failed on that one. But as, if we kind of said that, as a church, we're going to read our Bible through. It just sticks us out there, and it it just doesn't seem right. But what I want to do is kind of say, God is doing something. God has done something. And God will continue to do something. And we're responding to do that. We're responding to that. It's not just us out there on our own. God is an active God. And we're responding. So we're going to call these response solutions. I don't know if we'll stick with that word. Um, but I kind of like that word. Response solutions. It's, it's, it's going to remind us of what God has done. God has done amazing things and God has done good work. And as we look at our lives and as we look at our life under the rule of God, we want to respond to what he has done. Next week, we're going to start a sermon series through the book of Ephesians. And we're going to tackle some really weighty things over the next few weeks. We're going to look at God's grace. We're going to look at God's sovereignty. We're going to look at what it means to be a Christian community. We're going to look at all sorts of things. And in the middle of the book of Ephesians, a little bit towards the front end, there's some grace, there's some verses that are fairly familiar to many of us. And they say this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, and many of you have perhaps heard this verse. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so Paul, as Paul, in the book of Ephesians, reminds us of the gospel, he says, God has given grace to you. In Christ, we have grace. We trust in that. It's through, it's through faith. It's not our own doing. God has given us grace. God has saved. God has rescued us. It's the gift of God. It's not your own works. It's God's doing. But look what the next verse says, Ephesians 2.10, then, we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you see how the response thing happens here? God has saved, we do good work. 
But we don't do good work in order to earn God's salvation, because that gets the order all screwed up. But for many of us, we, we, we think that way. I need to do better. I need to read more. I need to pray more. And then God will love me and bless me. That's not the way that's phrased in Ephesians. God works. We respond. God saves. We do good work. The book of Peter, 2 Peter, calls us to grow and says that there is, does need to be movement in our life. 2 Peter 3.18 says that we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So as Peter is talking to his audience, he says there is this need for us to grow. We need to understand and grow, and the Christian life should be one of encountering grace and understanding grace and learning more and more about the gospel. But growing isn't just a to-do list. I could very easily make a to-do list for you. Right? Read your Bible, pray, go to church more often, be in a community group, right? Get some solitude every once in a while, start journaling, perhaps, share your faith with one person a week minimum, right? And we can kind of do this to-do list. And I don't think the Christian life is just a to-do list. It's, it's more of a, 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 it's a being more than a doing. It's a response more than a resolve. Most resolutions we make, and most resolutions that you perhaps made, are about doing. I want to be more organized. I want to be cleaner. I want to lose weight. I want to be stronger. Whatever it is. I want to be a better mom, a better dad, better brother, better sister. But growing isn't just a to-do. It's a being. It's understanding who we are by God's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. So God has done this work, which has given us a new identity, brought us into a new relationship with him, and then we act as a response. We act as a response. Growing happens by grace then. So what I want to do then is kind of look at five things. And we, as we kind of wrestled with this, and as, uh, as we were talking about this as elders, we, we kind of said, here's five things that we would like to see DR doing. Okay? These are five things that we want to call people to do, but they're not just five resolutions because they're connected to God's work. And if we just take the activity and disconnect it from who God is and what God has done and our identity in Him, it becomes, it, it becomes warped. And we think we're good if we just do these things and we miss out on who God is. And so if we're going to get these things right, what we, we're calling each other to do and what we're encouraging each of us to do, we need to connect it to who God is and what God is doing in Christ and what God is doing in our community. So let me just kind of take that idea and say, here's who God is, and then here's our response. And I'm going to do this in five different areas of response solutions, okay? I don't know how you spell response solutions. We can debate that one later. But at the title, if you're taking notes, you can put down your response solutions, and we're going to talk about here's God's activity, and here's our response. So the first thing, God, by his grace, is a speaking God. God speaks. Now, just think about that for a second. God speaks. That's amazing, isn't it? God is not some disconnected force that we just sense emotionally. God is not just some kind of 
uh, God who created things like a clockmaker creates and then sets it in motion, winds it up, and then shoots it out into the universe and then steps back and isn't connected to the activity and just lets things go off on his own. God speaks. God has spoken. God is continuing to speak. Now, God is a speaking God. And so we listen. So your first response solution, the first response solution that I'm going to call you to this year is to listen to God. Are you listening to God? God is a speaking God. Are you listening? Well, how do you listen to God? The Sunday school answer is the right answer here on this one. You read your Bible and you pray. But, but so often, we read our Bible in order to appease God. If I just get my chapter a day, then it keeps the pastor away kind of thing, right? That's what we tend to think. So often we think if we just do these activities, then God stays away, right? He doesn't get us in trouble. But what's missing the whole point, God in his word has spoken. And we have the opportunity to open God's word and hear these great things like this one that we just showed up there earlier that God has given us grace in Christ. It's not our own doing that God in Christ loves us and has blessed us with every spiritual blessing as the the third verse of Ephesians says. God is a speaking God. He spoke through his spirit to men and women who recorded his words and we have that in front of us. It's an amazing thing that we have. We have this. And so some of you every year will kind of make that resolution and you're on chapter 5 or so of Genesis and you'll kind of work through here and Genesis has got some good stories here and you'll work through Exodus and then you'll hit the second half of Exodus and that'll be it for the year. And that happens every year. My encouragement to you is to read your Bible, but to read it thinking God is a speaking God. So as you open your Bible tomorrow or this afternoon, ask God, God, speak to me. Speak to me. Read your Bible prayerfully. Read it slowfully. Slowfully. (laughs) There's a whole new word, right? Read it slow. Read your Bible slowly. Contemplate it. I I actually encourage people, if if you're new to Bible reading, don't go for the read your Bible through in one once in a year. Because it's just gonna be too too much. Read take a chapter a book. Take Mark or Ephesians, where we're gonna preach through over the next few months. Take Ephesians and just start reading through it paragraph by paragraph. A paragraph a day. A chapter a day. Read one of those books and just soak in it and think through it and pray it and ask God, what does this mean? And ask others, what does this mean? And be part of a conversation. God speaks through his word. God is a speaking God. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that my sheep hear my voice. God is of God who speaks to his people. Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. These are God's words inspired by God, and they're profitable. They're useful. So all of this is useful. Some of it's a little bit more clear, but all of it is useful. So be in the Word. Colossians 3.16 is a great passage about the Word of God. In fact, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read some of these verses here. I guess you don't have to turn it, you can just listen. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, as Paul's instructing the church, he says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So Paul says, the, the, the word of God, the words of God should be 
part of our activity. God is speaking, and we're speaking the words of God to each other. We need to be reminding each other of Scripture, reminding each other of the truths of Scripture. God is, by His grace, speaking, and so we read our Bible and pray. Hebrews says that the Word of God is living and active. It's not just something that's an ancient document that we study, although there's some of that in there. We do study it, but it's live. It's active. God speaks through his word. And so we need to approach it in conversation with God, praying. Philippians 4, 6 says that we should not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. We should be praying and asking God, bringing our concerns towards him. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. So God is a speaking God. God speaks by His Spirit, through His Word, through His people, through His Son. Are you listening? Are you listening? Here's, here's the deal. Is our lives should just be Scripture-saturated. Not because we're just trying to get our Bible reading out for the day, but because we long to hear the God of the universe speak. The God of the universe speaks through His Word. So read it. Love it. Enjoy it. Our lives need to be scripture-saturated and prayer-filled. Here's the concern, is that for some of you, this can develop into a mundane, even boring task, right? It is the Sunday school answer. I was in Sunday school, good Sunday school kid when I was in uh, in, in, when I was a kid, and uh, I can remember the, the teacher always asking, you know, what do we need to do about this? And the answer was always two things. Read your Bible and pray. And it was the right answer quite often, right? But this is, but it was disconnected for me for so long. I, I've read the Bible a lot. I've studied the Bible. I went to school studying the Bible. But I need to get this perspective that God is speaking these are his words that he speaks to me through his spirit, through, his commu- through the community that reads together and studies together, hears God's word preached together. God is a speaking God, and his word is alive and active. Some of us, this will seem mundane. Maybe we need to read it slower or read different parts. Maybe we need to read it in community, find someone to read it with, a friend, um, uh, somebody in your community group, spouse, your children. Just start to read. Read slowly. I, I really would encourage you to read Ephesians. Um, maybe read a chapter a day and just kind of go through it over and over again and get Ephesians soaking uh, into, your, into your brain a little bit because we'll be spending a lot of time in Ephesians over the next few weeks. And it'll be a good place to start. For those who don't have the, the foundational authority and sufficiency of Scripture in prayer in their life, Rarely do you see growth. God grows people as they're in conversation and communication with him. And he speaks through his word and through prayer. And if you sense this need for spiritual growth this year, it will unlikely happen apart from scripture and prayer and the Christian community. You may, you may have some good ideas, but God speaks through his word, through his people, through prayer. Spend time in prayer with others. Spend time in the Word with others. Spend time with God. God speaks by the Spirit through the words of Scripture. And if you're not in the Word, don't expect to hear from God. So first thing, God is a speaking God. God communicates. God speaks to us. 
And so we read our Bible and pray. The second thing is God, by his grace, has made us a family. And so we practice community. We're involved in community. There's a community, there's a new family, there's a new relationships that happen and occur because of what God has done. One of God's favorite, uh, one of Jesus' favorite title for, uh, for God the Fa- is, is the Father. That God is the Father. Our Father. The Lord's Prayer starts, it starts, and you can think about that, that the Lord's Prayer starts not with, not with Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, my Father, that's how most of us pray, is very individualistically, but Jesus prays, our Father, our Father. It's collective. God is a Father, and he has brought us together by his grace, through his Son, as brothers and sisters. God has made us a family. God has brought us into his family. God has adopted us as sons and daughters. Uh, we were taught this in the book of Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God has made us a family, and so we practice community. And community is not just having people for di- over for dinner every once in a while. Community is life together. Community is sharing and sharing things and time and, and just being involved in each other's life, knowing when people need encouragement, being so involved in people's lives that you can tell when they're down and need an encouraging word or when they're struggling and need to be brought need to have someone come alongside them. This whole church idea is more than just something you attend for an hour and 15 minutes or so on Sunday morning. The idea of church is a community of people who are a family, who love each other, who weep with those who weep, who rejoice with those who rejoice. And so when there's new life in a family, a baby is born, we celebrate. And everybody was over there ogling that little baby earlier, Naomi, right? And when somebody's struggling and there's sickness or pain or death or sorrow, we weep with that person, we comfort that person, we come alongside that person. This idea of family isn't just something that we do um, in, in segmented times of the week. It's something that we are. God has made us a family. And so community groups and coming to our gathering on Sunday morning, it's all part of this family network that God has created. And Paul teaches us again how we're to treat one another in the church and gives these illustrations and, and even points this as a family idea. He says in 1 Timothy 5, Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. And as Paul instructs life in the church, it's, he uses familial language. We're a family. These are your brothers and sisters. Love them. Love them. And throughout the New Testament, you start to trace how we're called. And you see these one another statements. Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens. Love one another. Serve one another. And it's all in this family relationship. God has brought us into his family. And we sit under his fatherhood as brothers and sisters. And so we love each other. Now here's the concern on this one. For some of you, this will flow easily. You had a tight-knit family growing up. You love relationships. Relationships just come easy for you. You just love hanging out with people. And it's all good and warm and fuzzy. And it's just natural for you. 
maybe because of your background, maybe because of your personality, maybe for different reasons, whatever it is, you just connect well with people and you love being with people and you can't imagine anything different. For others of you, maybe because of your family situation growing up, maybe because of your personality, maybe for other reasons, it's difficult. It will take steps of faith and steps of courage even for you to be involved in a church that really views community as essential because of what God has done. So this idea of community will be a barrier. And I would think for a couple of you, for some of you, God wants to redeem this area of family. You have just, just a train wreck of family relationships. And the church is, this call, is called to be something different, something better, as God is our perfect Father. And we're very imperfect brothers and sisters, but we live with God as our Father. And so God may be calling us, uh, maybe asking, uh, maybe redeeming that idea of family in our life. For others, God wants you to lead in this area. You understand You understand what it is to be community. You understand what it is to serve each other more than some of us. It's more natural for you. And so you need to lead and step out and encourage the rest of us who struggle in that area. The other concern, as we talked about this, is that for us as a society, the individual has become more central to our worldview, and so family has become very optional. We spend most of our lives now in individual pursuits. We're involved in our office. We're by ourselves. We connect with people digitally more than physically. And so life is disconnected. And so this idea of community, we think a Facebook group satisfies that. And it may enhance that. It may help the idea of community, but it isn't community. Community is flesh and blood. It's people next to each other, serving each other, loving each other, caring for each other, encouraging each other. And for some of you, the idea of committing yourself to community through good and bad is part of your necessary growth. And some of you need to commit to community for your growth. Others need to do it because you have so much to contribute, so much to give, and so much to lead and encourage the rest of us. God has made us a family, and so we live as brothers and sisters. We practice community. We love each other. We encourage each other. We meet new people. We have people over, and we get involved in each other's lives. Response solution number three. Jesus, by his grace, laid down his life, and so we gladly serve. Serving is not something that we do out of guilt, or at least it's not something we should be doing out of guilt. It's something that we joyfully do because Jesus has laid down his life. Jesus came into this world In humility, he counted others as more significant than himself. And he emptied himself, took the form of a servant, and was born in the likeness of man. And he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Jesus served. God served us in Christ. There's some more amazing truth right there. The gospel truth is that God serves us. And we serve not in order to earn God's favor. We serve because we have been given favor by God. We use our gifts for the good of the community, for the blessing of others, for the glory of God. And so some of people are serving right now our children, and they're caring for them as, uh, and teaching them about Jesus. Others have served by using their musical talents. Others served early this morning in the really cold weather, hauling in stuff and setting up music stands that probably their hands just about froze to this morning. Right? So we serve in different ways on Sunday morning, but service is not just Sunday morning. 
Right? So often in churches, we kind of think, how are you serving? And it's relegated to the Sunday morning block. That's good. We need people to serve. And hopefully you can find a place to serve on a Sunday morning and help make some coffee or set up a few things or play an instrument or whatever it is. But service is not something that we just check off the box if we did it for an hour on Sunday morning. Service is our life. God has laid down his life for us. God served us. And so we give our lives in service to one another. We serve our spouses. We serve our children. We serve our parents. We serve our brothers and sisters. We serve our community. We love and care for them as a response to God's love for us. There can often be a tendency to think that we graduate serving, but Paul says in Philippians 2 that we mimic Christ when we humbly serve, when we humble ourselves and serve each other. So serve. God, by his grace, sent Jesus who laid down his life, and so we gladly serve each other. So we've got three downs so far, three response solutions. Okay? We read our Bibles and pray, we practice community, and we serve. None of these are just to-do lists, though. There, we also understand what God has done. Okay? So we understand that God served us, and so we serve. We understand that God made us a family, and so we practice community. We understand that God is a speaking God, and so we read our Bibles and pray. A couple more. Third, fourth one here. Got two more, okay? Fourth one here is God is by His grace generous, and so we joyfully give. We joyfully give. And all of a sudden you say this, and people like start to shift, right? Oh, what's he going to say here? Do I have to, you know, is he going over 10% or under 10%? Am I cool with what I'm doing? Am I not cool? You know, it's, it's always uncomfortable. Jesus spoke more about money than just about anything else. And yet when we talk about money in churches, people get shifty and uncomfortable. And Listen, I'm not going to give you percentages. I'm not going to give you specifics or anything like that. But I am going to say that God is an incredibly generous God. God is a rich God who out of the depths of his riches gave us so much. Every good thing, every perfect thing, uh, James says, comes from our Father. Every good and perfect gift. Everything you have is a gift from God. The people that you're sitting next to, the people that you met this morning, that is a gift from God. The food you ate this morning, that coffee you drank or should have drank this morning, it was a gift from God. The food, the, 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 everything is a gift. The roof that you have over your head in cold weather, the heat that you have, it is a gift from God. God is a gracious, generous God. And when we hoard, when we say it all stops with me, everything that I get stops with me, it means we don't understand the gospel. Because God doesn't give to you so that it stops on you. God blesses so that you can be a blessing. God is generous to you, and we respond by being generous with others. We use our talents, we use our treasures, we use our time, all of these, for others. Understanding that God is generous towards us. And so we give. Financially, certainly. We give in our time, in our service. We give with our lives. We serve each other. We bless each other. We joyfully give. I'll be honest with you guys and say, for me, personally, this one is hard. I, I know, like I've read the Bible cover to cover a couple times. And I know that I'm supposed to be generous. But I also know that it scares me. It scares me to be generous, to be honest. My, my wife 
is a very gift-oriented person. She loves to give gifts. And every time she says, hey, we should give this to them or gift this to our children, I think dollar signs, right? And how, how, where's that coming out of? How are we going to afford that? And, you know, isn't one present enough? or some, you know, I, So I, I can be a very grumpy, humbug kind of person when it comes to, to gifts, some of my junk. And so when I hear God encouraging us to give, and God saying that as we understand his generosity, we should give, it's not easy for me. It's been a growth area in my life, and it's something that I still struggle with. And so we want to think about this, though, because as a church, we have been blessed in tremendous ways. We've been blessed financially. You live among, just by being here, you're part of the top 5% or so wealthiest people on the planet. You have been given much. What are you doing with it? Are you joyfully giving? Because... That joy will only come when you understand Christ's generosity, when you understand God's generosity towards us. We may stumble at how to give or where to give or the quantity of giving or the conversation around giving, and we miss the opportunity and the joy of giving. Acts 20 says this, uh, as Paul is instructing people again and teaching again, he says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. My mom used to always quote that on Christmas morning or around Christmas. And she would tell me, Josh, my sister, Jenny, remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I never believed her. Never. It's like, Come on, that's the most ridiculous verse in the Bible, isn't it, right? I mean, especially trying to tell an 8-year-old kid that it's more blessed to give than to receive. No, it's not. I want hordes of presents for me, right? That's, that's where blessing comes from. And, and Paul instructs us through the words of Jesus, it's more blessed to give. We tend to think blessings are things directed towards us, but here the instruction is the blessing is something that comes, springs out from us. As, as we are given much, as we are blessed with much, we bless others. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I have a daughter who had a birthday today. and we woke, She woke up about 7 o'clock and came out and there was five or six gifts on the table. And I didn't pick these ones out, but they were from us. And she opened them up. And I got to see her face light up over dolls and ponies and things like this and just that blessing of giving to someone that it is I, I agree i agree it is more blessed to give than receive but i often fall back and i often shrink back from that and think no no it's more blessed to hoard it's more blessed to give to myself than to receive but as we understand how much god has given us we understand the grace that he has given us we understand the gifts that he has given us and we give towards others it is a blessing. Over the next few weeks here at DR, we're going to be making giving more central to our gathering. Uh, we have always, as process-wise, just put a kind of bin back there, uh, a box back where people can give if they want to. We're going to make, we, what we've talked about, what we want to do is how do we make the giving more central to our gathering? Because if we just put a box back there, it sort of disconnects giving from worship. So we come here, we sing, we pray, we hear scriptures read, all this kind of thing, and then we, every once in a while, slip a check in the back or drop a few bucks off or something like that. And it's disconnected from the act of worship and from the, uh, from the uh, story of the gospel that we practice and the songs that we sing. 
And so what we want to do here over the next few weeks, and you'll see this kind of brought into, and you'll give some instruction over this week by week, uh, we're going to phase giving into our worship. We want giving to be a response. It's not just something that we do disconnected. It's something that we do because God has given us much. Because we understand and hear the story of the gospel as we sing and as we pray and as we preach, uh, we then give. God is by his grace generous, so we joyfully give. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So enjoy God's gifts and be generous like he is. Last one, God is by his grace at work all around us. God is a God who is at work in this world, and he is doing things. God is an active God, and so we are on mission. Henry Blackaby, in his famous book now, Experiencing God, says that God is always at work around you and that God pursues a continuing relationship with you that is real and personal and loving and that God invites you to become involved with him in his work. So often we kind of have this idea of God bringing us into his family and then sending us out in mission. God is at work and we're joining him in his work. And you come to know God by experience as you obey him and as his, he accomplishes his work through you. If you remember that verse in Ephesians 2, verse 10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God is at work in this world, and so we are on mission. When we think about mission, very often we think about mission trips, and I've been on numerous mission trips, both in the States and across the world. In fact, on Friday, Reed and I are heading to Greece for 10 days to teach immigrant pastors the gospel of Mark. You can be praying for us as we teach. Um, I'm excited about this trip and really looking forward to taking a book that we preached on here last year and teaching uh, uh, young Christian pastors who are very recently converted the gospel of Mark. Um, we'll, we'll be there in Athens for 10 days and it'll be a uh, a lot of work, actually. Um, I'm excited about going to Athens. I mean, it's Athens is kind of a cool thing. But we have the opportunity. I'll be teaching about 20, um, t- 20 Iranian pastors who are immigrating to, the, to Europe. Some of them will go back to Iran. Some of them will stay in Europe. And we'll have the opportunity for a week to teach them how to study and read and preach the Gospel of Mark. It's a great opportunity. I'm looking forward to that. And I've been on trips like that, and I've been on trips around the world, and I've been on trips here in the States where you do different service activities, where you teach in different areas. And it's very easy to see a group come together who are doing this trip and how focused they are. We're going here to accomplish this, and so you organize that, and that mission becomes very clear. When we've gone to the Philippines, we had a clear mission. We're going to do this work. We're going to have these clinics, and we're going to play basketball against these teams and then give our testimonies and share and all this kind of stuff. It's a very clear, organized mission. And then when we come back here, mission kind of just washes out. We have unbelieving people who are far from Christ right across the street from us, and mission becomes foggy here. We don't know how to serve. We, we can think clearly about serving when we're overseas or when we go outside of our comfort zone, but then when we're in our daily life, we don't understand mission. Mission becomes foggy. And so we want to see mission become clear. We want to understand that if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, you're a missionary. And you may never go far. You may stay in Dane County your entire life. And you're still a missionary. You're a missionary. 
We need to share the gospel. God is by his grace at work all around us, and so we are on mission. So there's our five response solutions. God is a speaking God. We want to call you and call ourselves as a church to read our Bible and pray together. God, by his grace, has made us a family, and so we want to practice community together. Jesus laid down his life, and so we gladly serve. God is a generous God, and so we joyfully give. And then God, by his grace, is at work all around us, and so we are on mission. And God has big things in store for us as a church. I pray that he has significant growth for us as a church, individually in our own lives, and in an impact of our church in this area. And so as we, as a, as a church, have talked about it, this is five response solutions that we're going to embark on as a church. Let's read our Bible. Let's hear God speak. Let's enjoy the family that he has put us in. Let's joyfully serve because he served us. Let's joyfully give because he is generous. And let's be on mission together because God is at work in this community. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to ask God to not let us disconnect the activity from the identity. We're going to pray that God blesses our activity And we're going to pray that God builds us as a community and as a mission. After I pray, we'll sing a a song or two, and we'll worship Jesus some more. We'll lift up his name and thank him for all that he has done. We do this every week. We put out communion for you to remember Jesus. We'll put out on either side the cup and the bread, and we'll invite you to come during one of these two songs to take the bread, which represents Jesus' body, to dip it into the cup, which represents his blood, and to take that and receive that and remember that Jesus is our Savior, that he gave his life for us. And as we sing songs of worship to Jesus, it's an opportunity for us, it's an opportunity that Jesus gave us to remember him. And we'll call you to do that. So we, so we respond here. We respond with song, we respond with, respond with community, and we respond as we give too. So we'll, let me pray. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand now, and we'll pray, we'll sing, and we'll respond, and we'll lift up Jesus. God, we thank you for a new year. We thank you for uh, an opportunity for us to, to set some direction and set some vision. And Lord, we know that very often when we do this at the beginning of a year, we fail. It comes screeching to a halt very quickly. And so often for us, that's because it's disconnected to our identity. We're trying to do these things on our own power, and we're not understanding who you are and what you're doing. So God, as we take this opportunity to to set some direction, may you help us to understand who you are and what you have done in Christ Jesus, how you are a speaking God, how you are a father, how you have served us, how you have been generous with us, and how you are at work in this world. And may it influence our behavior and activity. Lord, we love you, and we love that you are an active God who is connected to his creation, who is working among his people, and we ask that you work and act among us. God, we pray for this year. May it be a blessing, may there be growth in our own life, and may there be growth in our church, deeper and wider. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.